the NTU would like to acknowledge that this podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wajuk Noongar people. We would like to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and to note that this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to the third episode of the Bargain Hunters podcast, the Curtin NTU Branches EBA Bargaining uh, Roundup podcast. I'm here with the branch president, Scott Fitzgerald. How are you doing, Scott? Yeah, great. And I'm also here with one of our lecturers in the Centre for Aboriginal Studies, Max Jackson. Thanks for coming in, Max. No worries. Thank you. Max, because uh, Scott's been on a few episodes and he's, he's been able to give himself a bit of an introduction, would you mind just introducing yourself a little bit? time you've been at Curtin, you know, what you do here, that kind of yep. thing. No worries. Um, yeah, name's Max Jackson. I'm uh, Balladong Wajak, you are man from um, Perth, Western Australia. Um, been a lecturer for about three years now, or well, associate lecturer, but, um, you know, sort of realised I was doing all the, um, everything that sort of uh, led to being a lecturer. So I sort of applied for a lecturer's position about a year ago and got the, and, and was um, sort of proved as such. Previous to that, I was looked. I did a thesis looking at um, a master's thesis that looked at Noongar values in the workplace, and that sort of led me to um, becoming a, a sort of lecturer as such. So yeah, and I look after the postgrad. Um, we've got a four four unit postgrad at the Centre of Aboriginal Studies, so we'll, I look after that. But there's also undergrad units that are sort of within that dual coded type of um, um, teaching um, delivery. So. So that, that's sort of what I'm doing at the moment. We do a lot of uh, cultural awareness for the university, but also we do some for outside to try and get some um, an income stream, you know, sort of built so the centre can take advantage of it and, and build stronger um, or, you know, more staff, uh, better delivery, more resources as such. Great. Thanks yeah. so much, Max. And, and thanks for coming on um, the podcast. Yeah. So the reason why we've got Max here with us today uh, is because the last meeting that we had with management was around the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander claims in the agreement. Max, you were um, gracious enough to come along and give your perspective at that meeting. We'd also like to acknowledge that Robin Heckenberg was uh, virtually present in the meeting as well, giving her perspective. Robin uh, unfortunately couldn't make it to this podcast, but we will be recording another one in a few weeks when management returns with their thoughts on our claims and their response to our claims. So we'll try and get Robin along to that one if we can. Scott, would you mind giving a little bit of an overview of what we discussed at the meeting and maybe just a little bit of an overview of the claims that we presented to management? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, so it's great to have Max and uh, Robin along. So Robin's uh, Associate Professor and Dean of L&T in the Centre for Aboriginal Studies as well, and it was great that they were given the time to talk about their experiences. Look, the major focus of... The fourth meeting on July 13th was the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander employment claims. What we're basically arguing for is that uh, Curtin should increase the percentage of Aboriginal staff employed to be commensurate with uh, the percentage in population. So we're, we're looking to increase the percentage to from, it's a little bit over 2% now to 4%. Um, and we think Curtin's been a little bit slow in terms of reaching that higher figure, and so we're proposing that Curtin needs a uh, Aboriginal Employment Monitoring Committee to be established in partnership between management and the NTU and being predominantly um, made up of Aboriginal um, staff members looking at ways in which Aboriginal employment can be increased at Curtin. We've got a few other claims as well. 
Uh, and these, these reflect the huge amount of work our colleagues um, in CAS and Aboriginal staff across the university do. And this pre- uh, reflects the increased focus on um, reconciliation at Curtin. So the claims we have are around uh, a language allowance, so increased um, remuneration for those that use um, Aboriginal language on a daily basis, part of their work. Uh, also a cultural allowance, again, for um, ceremonial activities, things like um, welcome to country, acknowledgement, those sorts of things. And we have an updated claim around employment. So for those jobs that require deep understanding and knowledge of cultural matters, the university has an opportunity to make it a, a requirement that um, it's open only to Aboriginal members of staff. Yeah, no, great. Thanks, Scott. That's a really good overview. Max, I was wondering if you could just speak to the importance of making sure that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander staff are compensated for all of the cultural work they do, especially that work that's that's done outside of their immediate role or their immediate um, workload. Because the sense I got from your comments in our meeting with management is that particularly our staff in, in CAS, but, but, you know, First Nations and Torres Strait Islander staff, you know, across the university – um, are probably some of the most generous people with their time um, at the university. What's your experience been? I, I suppose um, just in regards to the um, the language specifically, um, we, we have a staff member who's actually put together a MOOC, a quarter, it's international, it's national, and um, the, the level that she's at, it's not really considered that as a, as, you know, even though it's something that is utilised in the actual product, and all the all the work and what she shared is is not really sort of seen as um, sort of something that she's um, her enumeration is based on. So I think definitely it, 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 it's needed. It, it's highly required. Um, but also such as myself, I'll share you know indigenous um, indigenous knowledge is wisdom based. So it's life and shared experiences. And without that, you can't really sort of deliver. Because I delivered a lot of non-indigenous um, uh, sort of students, and they'll always sort of say that the classroom you know with my sharing. Is, is sort of what makes the difference. Um, I could just put up a whole heap of stats and, and data and, and, and sort of talk to it, but what, what it is, I always say, the, um, you know, whether it's testimonials or that sort of glues and, you know, that understanding of, of culture glues the actual, all that other information together because it's, it's wisdom-based, it's from my life experience. And I'll always share it, you know, that, that's, that's a given because being an egalitarian society, you share what you've got with others that don't have it. But when we're doing it and there's an economic um, sort of outcome from it, I think it should be shared, yes, definitely. That's such a good point, Max, because one of the things that universities are very proud of and that they advertise very prominently are our universities' connections to um, First Nations and, and Torres Strait Islander people. Um, and, and, and in a real way, that does give universities a commercial advantage. And, and so the people who have that cultural expertise and that knowledge really should be um, compensated for that. Scott, am I right? Correct, correct me if I've got this wrong off the top of my head, but we were bargaining for there to be more or less two levels. That's right, isn't it? That there would be a $4,500 bonus that could be paid to a staff who had um, advanced knowledge of cultural matters. And then was it... 2500 2500 for someone who, who, who has basic knowledge of, of um, um, cultural matters. And... From memory, we discussed in the in the bargaining meeting that at some universities there's been attempts to compensate staff by giving them workload relief. Mm-hmm. 
but our concern was that often when you when you promise people workload relief, they never actually get it. And so you're always told, oh, maybe in second semester or something, you'll get a bit of teaching relief, but then teaching comes along and you end up doing it anyway. And so, um, you know, our position, and it'd be interesting to get your opinion on this as well, Max, our position is that, you know, a bonus is much better because that means that is something guaranteed. That means if you're doing the extra work, you get the extra pay as opposed to workload relief, which... You know, you can be promised it, but are you actually going to see it? I think I'll, I'll even take a step back from that, where Indigenous people, are, we don't ask for what, you know, what because we, we feel that, you know, past policies and, and history has shown that if you ask, it puts a spotlight on you. So I know just with myself, I, I started off and um, I started off as Associate Lecturer and I, I ended up doing course coordination and, and, and putting together blackboards and all this kind of stuff, which... You know, realistically, I should have been a lecturer, but my reciprocity has given me the job that I don't ask, that I, I, I give and all those kind of things. So I, I sort of realised, and then when I got to the point where I was like, people were getting, you know, remunerated and I was doing a lot more of the work and they are actually, you know, I, I was that course coordinator, I, I sort of started asking them questions. But then it was like, yo, you've got to, you know, do all these different, jump through all these hoops and stuff like that and not getting any support of how do you do it. And then, as you know, we were saying, oh, having the time, because in between semesters we actually run a course. We've got cultural awareness where everyone else has got a bit of downtime to work on their next next some semester. We're actually sort of stepping up in these other spaces. And it's not that, you know, we, you know, it, we know we sort of struggle for resources because we don't have many students and we accept that and we want to give a good experience and, and we'll sort of, um, you know, step up. But... You know, as, as we're saying, it, it sort of can put a lot of pressure on people. And um, realistically, you, you want to keep the people, and that's one thing that the centre's always struggled with, is, is keeping good Indigenous employees. And it, it may have something to do with these kind of things, which, um, you know, where if we sort of... It's a lot better to look after the good employees we've got, you know, and um, I think that's a big part of it. Yeah, that, that, so, Scott, could I just get you on that point? Because Max just ended on a really crucial matter we discussed in the meeting as well, which is the turnover of staff. Because if, if you look at our RAP, um, our Reconciliation Action Plan, on face value, it does look like Curtin's doing a pretty good job, um, you know, on the whole. But then when we look into the turnover of staff, things are a little bit more concerning. Could you just touch on that a little bit? Yeah, so that was um, highlighted in the work that the uh, university did for part of its uh, 2030 strategic plan. Uh, and there it, it, it highlighted that the number of staff that were offering continuing contracts or renew contracts um, in CAS was much lower than elsewhere in the university. Um, and the number of uh, staff, academic staff, um, at levels um, B, C and D were much lower than the rest of the university. And so part of that review, um, they looked into how you can develop a career path for people in CAS and Aboriginal staff elsewhere in the university. And uh, Professor uh, Rina Tuari did a, a, a project on that. And basically she was arguing that there's a need to, as I said, create a, a career path, create a way in which um, Aboriginal, Aboriginal members of our community um, are encouraged to develop as academics and develop long-term careers at Curtin University. Uh, now, the challenge is that Curtin, for whatever reason, seems to have a high turnover rate. 
of staff in this area. It doesn't offer as many renewed contracts or ongoing positions, and that's something we'd like to address. But also in terms of um, a recognition of the work and value of, of Aboriginal staff members here at Curt University, things like the uh, language allowance, the cultural allowance, will really, I think, help to underpin the importance of these staff members to the overall um, objectives of Curtin University. Yeah, because Max, I really wanted to come back to what you were saying about reciprocity in the units that I coordinate and in in, in the you know the course um, that I coordinate. There's been various points where I've gone to um, CAS in particular, and I've asked for help in order to you know authentically bring Indigenous knowledge um, from an authentic perspective into the units. Never have I had anyone rebuff me. Um, everyone I've spoken to at CAS has always immediately helped me as much as I've I've needed. And I just think that's why it's so important that there is that compensation there and that it's not something that individual staff members have to go out on a limb or, as you said, put a spotlight on themselves and say, oh, you know, I'm now as an individual complaining that I'm not, not getting enough. Um, we really want it to just be something built into the agreement so that it's there uh, it's there for everybody who is who is doing that additional work. Yeah, and and it's also understanding the load there. there maybe you need to put a little, you know, there, there needs to be that little bit of a load to address that because the university becomes stronger when we do it. Like I've always, you know, I'll, I'll always say, no matter what level, that bringing culture back into our workplace is when Indigenous people function a lot stronger. When you try and sort of create a real formal approach, and everyone sort of is put into silos and can't support each other and all those type of things. And it's not just with Indigenous people supporting Indigenous people within CAS. It's like how we, like you said, that reciprocity is part of our culture, being able to practice that and being available for other other, other um, faculties. And we do that with the teaching out and stuff like that. There's that transactional side to it. But we're big on relational as well. So even if we're getting paid, we still appreciate that relational side that, that that's required and... And understanding those type of things are the type of things that create a good workplace for the Indigenous um, staff. Because like I said, you know, it's not all about the money and you could pay me, but if the workplace is not allowing me to practice who I am and things that actually make me um, sort of um, stronger um, and and that's the type of stuff that you just want to be a bit mindful of because as as an organisation, you can put a lot of things in place and thinking from your own lens going, well, that's what I would have wanted. And not realising that it wasn't, you didn't need to spend as much money or you just needed to reposition certain um, sort of structures within your organisation and you get better better outcomes and conversations and things like that. Definitely, Max. And and, and I think it's always really important for, for all staff to um, uh, be conscious of the fact that, you know, management do like to draw attention to to the bottom line and to their to their financial um, pressures. But at the end of the day, there is an awful lot of work to do at Curtin. There's always way more work than there are staff. And one of the ways that we can fix so many different problems at, at um, Curtin, whether that's staff feeling like they have to compete with each other for resources, whether it's people's mental health, whether it's just um, allowing people to be more innovative and creative in the workplace, is just hiring more staff. If, if we have more people around to share the burden of the work that we have to do, it, it is just a better environment and it does really have um, um, systemic, you know, positive systemic um, effects. I'd, I'd tell you also hire more staff, but also give them secure employment, um, give them the opportunity to develop as, as members of the Curtin organisation and community. Cheers, Scott. That's a really, really good point. In terms of management's response, it seemed 
I, I, I would personally, I'd be very interested to know what you both think. This, this was the meeting where I felt the most uncertain in terms of where management is going to go. I, I almost feel 50-50 that, that they already have in mind something like what we are proposing. Um, but on the other hand, it is, it is a bargaining meeting, so everybody is keeping their cards fairly close to their chest. Scott, what was your perception of, of management's response to the claims? Yeah, look, I think they were responsive to the claims. Uh, overall, I think at the end they said they saw the claims in a positive light and they believed that we could meet, um, reach agreement, I should say, on them. Uh, I mean, there was a little bit of pushback in some areas. Uh, they weren't happy with the idea, it appeared, of the um, Employment Monitoring Committee, Aboriginal Employment Monitoring Committee, um, mainly because I think they saw that as some sort of um, Trojan horse by, horse by the NTU. But I think it, 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 we need mechanisms like that to ensure that Curtin's words are matched with deeds. Um, I think, Max, you've had experience, or perhaps not as much experience as you would have liked, on the uh, Curtin Indigenous Policy Committee. How, how many times has that met? Not since I've been... I, I, I've been, I was accepted back in October, November last year, and it keeps getting put off because... They've got sort of structure issues in regards to people in positions that need to be part of it. Right. So, look, that that, um, that committee that we called SIPSI, for simplicity, uh, it was moribund for a number of years. Uh, it's been re-energised under the new VC um, and it reports directly to her, but it hasn't actually met s- since it's been re-established. Uh, and the decisions, the outcomes, the minutes, for example, from that meeting are all in confidence. It, it's just for the VC's eyes. Uh, we'd like to have a uh, committee that actually is much more open, uh, that all members of Curtin staff can understand where Curtin is heading and what goals it's achieved. Um, so, look, overall, uh, I think where I'd say I'm hopeful about these claims, partly because, look, Curtin's had a long term commitment to uh, this area. It's, you know, it proudly says it has an uh, elevated reconciliation action plan. And in the draft uh, 2030 strategic plan uh, under partnerships, so under that strategic plan, there's basically three, three components, people, planet and partnerships. The partnerships effectively focus on the relationship with First Nation people. Uh, and if that's what Curtin is focusing on, it should, in, in good faith, respond to our cl- claims and put these clauses in a new EA. And just just to clarify, in terms of the um, the, the standing committee and, and what's being proposed by the NTU, at the moment we we have a committee which, as you said, um, Scott, is sort of being redeveloped because the the existing one, you know, was more abundant. It wasn't really holding meetings. But the function of that committee would be primarily to report and advise to the VC where what the NTU is proposing is a committee that, first of all, because it's enshrined in the agreement, it, it needs to function in order for the agreement to be viewed as, as, as being in effect legally. So that means it has to meet, you know, it, it, it has to actually function um, within, within, you know, Curtin as an institution, but also that it would have greater powers in order to have oversight over whether... Um, key performance indicators are, are being met. And so what, what I'm thinking, for instance, is if Curtin is not taking reasonable steps towards, let's say for sake of argument, reaching 
four um, percent uh, of employment being Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander peoples, then that committee would actually have some teeth to be able to go, look, you know, the, the curtain's not doing its job, and and there needs to be some accountability or some change there. Is that is that correct? That's right. So it's to identify where Curtin's at, um, but also to identify best practice measures that have been used elsewhere in other organisations in WA, elsewhere in Australia, that has achieved similar targets. So Curtin has to compete with a lot of other sectors uh, in WA, like the mining sector, to attract staff. And so this committee is designed to come up with the best measures to make sure that we attract the the best, uh, most capable staff to Curtin, but also do so by providing them with career opportunities and stable employment. So it's not just about, um, you know, it's, it's, it's not all stick. It's not just a committee that's there to have a disciplinary function within the university if those targets aren't being met, but it's also there to, you know, have positive suggestions and to say, look, there might be things other industries are doing to increase their Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander employment that, that Curtin could be doing. Yeah, precisely. Great. Well, thanks very much, Scott and Max. Max, is there any final thoughts or, or words you wanted to leave people with? Uh, I suppose just what Scott was saying, you know, it's about being not just being reactive but also proactive. And, um, I mean, you know, a lot of us, like myself, for instance, and a lot of Indigenous staff that work at uh, Curtin have probably come with other skills. I did work at Horizon Power with the, um, you know, the employment, agents, um, employment um, section, and you do understand that, you know, if the person that is your boss is a gatekeeper and you may have more qualifications, you know, as an Indigenous person, you still, you know, struggle to get that through to the, 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 the upper levels of management who usually design these um, corporate social responsi- um, responsibility statements and st- strategies. And if the gatekeeper stops the information from getting up there, your best intentions are not being followed. And um, I think, you know, it's, it's got to be viewed in that, that way as well, you know, whether it's a couple of people or, you know, that it, it needs to be understood that it's not just trying to protect the organisations but trying to put the organisation in a stronger position and, and by addressing what they've actually said they're going to do and making sure that there's a clear pathway and the, the communication and the information is, is, is being, you know, is not sort of um, restricted, I suppose. So... Yeah, I'll definitely sort of, you know, agree with some sort of format of, of how for those reasons. Yeah, that's a really, really good point, Max. And I think that touches on so many issues we've discussed um, in bargaining on the podcast already, which is that if we really want to make sure that these conditions are enforceable, we want them to be in the agreement. And that's really the best way for the university to meet its objectives and its targets is not just to say this is the purview of policy or this is the purview of individual managers within their portfolios, but to have it in the agreement so it's legally enforceable in that way. Um, it, it doesn't really matter what's happening um, at an individual level because systemically there's, there is some mechanism to make sure that um, you know, we, we, we get to where we want to be as an institution. Yeah, yeah. So in discussion of the, uh, the new strategic plan for 2030, the um, chief strategy officer said, look, while uh, university rankings aren't um, completely unimportant, they're putting much greater focus on Curtin University doing the right thing. This is a great opportunity for Curtin University to do the right thing. Um, so we're hoping that they come back to the table with um, an agreement that we can all be happy with. I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Scott, Max, thanks for coming on the podcast and speak to you both soon.